Yo, 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 welcome to yet another episode of Roundball Ramble. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation like the intro says, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. Pretty simple, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S. I say it every time just to remind myself as much as you, but definitely make sure to do that, not just fantasy basketball coverage, but also NBA, baseball, football, and now the WNBA as well. So definitely make sure to get on board with that. Also, while you're there, please take a moment to follow at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. Well, today on Ramble Ramble, we're going to do what the name implies. We're going to ramble about the round ball. And this time, I am pumped, honored, just ecstatic to have with me a guest because we're going to turn our attention to the NBA draft, specifically the 2022 NBA draft, um, some of the prospects. And with that, I brought in a scout, an analysis for basketball's analyst consultant, an author, many hats. Um, just happy to have some time with him here on the show, Richard Liu. You can find him on Twitter at RVL Hoops. Also, make sure to check out um, NBAScoutingLive.com to see more written work from, I think, both him and his brother, um, NBA content, a lot of deep dive scouting um, analysis there as well. And then on Amazon, I have the link. Um, he does NBA Almanacs pretty much twice a year. One like a draft almanac, one a more general NBA preview almanac. Great books. I have a bunch of them. So definitely make sure to check that out too. With that long intro out the way, Richard, how you doing, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Of course. I'm excited and pumped to kind of have you on, not only just to talk again, um, oops, just been a minute, but also just to be able to um, go into the draft. And, and with that, this 2022 NBA draft, I, you know, just being around reading different, um, not only draft boards and having some friends of mine who do some draft things as well. Um, but I'm kind of familiar with it, but just for the listeners, what are your thoughts on this draft class as a whole? Like, how does it compare to the 2021 draft class, the 2020 draft class? I've heard that it's not as good of a like top tier like superstar kind of potential draft class i've heard there's not as good um shooters involved like what is kind of your overall take of this draft class as a whole as we are right now um just in general probably this class is probably closer to 2020 where i mean if you would go back a couple of years people were at the time kind of saying that draft was a little bit weak and (laughs) And so, you know, they're saying kind of the same things about this one, but, you know, you could see, you know, there's some, there's some value to be had kind of not only kind of with the first couple, first few guys at the top, but, you know, kind of probably if some guys kind of, you know, in the, re- in the, in the rest of the draft, they, they land in good spots, you know, you could see maybe some guys overachieving out of this, but yeah. So probably I would say, yeah, it's closer to 2020. It doesn't quite have as much kind of, upper end talent as say last year's had. So that's kind of where I think this draft is at. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. And that's something I've heard, especially, you know, in terms of this class, you hear the names, you know, last year um, you heard the big uh, prospects that were out there and how they would shine. I know, you know, it's always three or four guys that it's centered on come draft season that people really kind of focus their attention to Um, in regards to this draft class. Um, is it like last year's? I mean, last year's, of course, all we heard, you know, you had, of course, Cade Cunningham, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, of course, Scotty Barnes, um, Jalen Suggs was a big guy. Those four, Evan Mobley as well. Those are the five that were around there. Of course, there was a lot on Jonathan Kaminga as well. 
Um, and then it started branching out as more analysis as we got closer and closer, of course, to the draft uh, this year. Is it really more like a top three draft class in terms of potential NBA stars, or do you think the list goes deeper? And of course, of those top three, I'm talking about like a Jabari Smith Jr. Um, from Auburn, Apollo Bancaro from, um, or I'm saying right, Bancaro, Bancaro, Bancaro. Uh, I've heard, yeah, I've heard it. I I've been going Bancaro, but okay. I've, I've heard it both both ways. both ways. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> when, when, when we get close to we'll, we'll know for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, but him out of um, Duke. And then, of course, uh, from Gonzaga, I think uh, Chet Holgren as well. Chet Holgram as well. So is it just top three? Do you think there's more guys outside of that that have some uh, potential superstardom? I mean, I know it's super early, but, you know, the draft, I mean, you guys project out. Like, what are your initial thoughts? And I'm really curious. Well, sort of early at this stage. I mean, the group of three, you know, mm-hmm. Barry Smith, Chet Holmgren, Benchero, those three have started to kind of a little like separate themselves as sort of the top three picks. But, you know, anywhere, you know, kind of the gap between, say, four, you know, four and like 24 isn't super high. And it's one of these things where you could, you may, you know, again, if it's all, it always kind of sometimes can come down to like, the right prospect landing in the right spot. So, you know, um, wing guys, like as in, I guess you learn, uh, you learn, start, you know, they can come from anywhere really. I mean, if you look at, you know, someone like Desmond Bain was like the last pick of the first round, Jimmy Butler was the last pick of the first round in his draft. Mm -hmm. Chris Middleton was a second round pick Kawhi mid first. And so you have, you know, you know, a situation where, you know, like wings it's you know it's either polish or you know it's like you either you know hope you know you bet on polish and maybe the tools kind of they have enough tools to kind of make it or they have tools and maybe they you know their work ethic carries them to become way more polished than they ever did out of the draft so you know you could see like with this like this crop of wings where you know they're kind of all over the place so if you just get like, you know, somebody in the right situation, they might overachieve. And then outside of the top three, probably Jaden, Jaden Ivy probably might, you know, have kind of, yeah, yes. You know, if he, again, if there are certain things he works on, you know, he can, you know, he might be able to kind of level up and kind of, you know, get hit, hit bigger than, than we might expect. Okay, that is cool. That is cool. I, I was definitely interested in that. Um, and speaking of, I kind of wanted to turn attention to more of these prospects in particular. And, and really, just as I like can entry into this draft, I'm going to do more analysis myself as we get closer and closer to March Madness, of course. But I'd I love to get like a bit of a, a scouting report on a few players. And so I have a few here. I just want to get your general take on, you know, offense, defense, kind of how you think about them. Uh, and I wanted to start with Jabari Smith Jr. I know uh, Auburn. I know 6'10". I know he's a really good shooter. And that's all I know. So, like, can you uh, let me and the listeners in on, on Jabari Smith Jr., where he is, why he's being uh, ranked so high, and and what you see from him personally? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, of the prospects, I mean, I'd probably say Jabari Smith is probably the safest. He has probably the cleanest profile because he's really sound two-way player. I mean, he's, yeah, as you said, great, great shooter. Um, he can... He can create his shot off the dribble. Now, offensively, like his main weakness is that he's not really an advanced playmaker. So if you kind of send, if you send, if a defense sends help over towards him, he's not quite able to kind of find the open man or find a release valve to kind of, to kind of alleviate pressure. So he can kind of be forced into some tough shots. So 
you're starting to see now as we get um, in, at this point of the college season, the SEO, what, when he's been in SEC play and they've kind of, they're kind of, they've seen him for the second time. They're start, he's starting to kind of struggle a little bit more than he did say a couple of weeks ago when, you know, they're just kind of seeing him for the first time. And so that's that kind of sense. the thing he has to work on to kind of take it to get better as an NBA player. And then defensively though, he, you know, he really versatile defender, just, you know, he, you know, he's six ten. He does have the ability to protect the rims, good shot blocker, rebounder. And he just, he has great mobility, like where he's not just, you know, a guy who can, you know, de- you know, defend on the perimeter for a bigger guy, but he actually can legitimately defend out there and kind of hang defend out there and hang with most kind of perimeter players and good, you know, good kind of roamer off the ball. So, you know, if there's a guy, you kind of say, okay, you're, you know, you're, they can handle kind of the general chaos of kind of being on a bad team. You know, this guy could probably be it. And so that's why he's kind of, that's why he's sort of been pushing himself towards that more towards, you know, a number one overall pick. So that's what Jabari Smith yeah. So do you see him? I mean, right now you kind of say, of course, his shooting on the offensive end and the fact that defensively he's not just good as a big, he's just a good defender. Do you see him as more like a, like, how do you project him in the pros? Is he someone that, like you said, he's the safest. So is he coming in kind of knowing like a, like a bigger three and D type role? Do you see some, Hey, this guy can take, you know, a uh, 25% usage. Like where do you see him on the offensive end? If, if on the defensive end, he seems pretty set. I kind of say, yeah, I think he, he could step in right away to be a three and D and then it's like, you know, I think with use, uh, he could, you know, I think ad- adjusting to a higher usage role, like he might, you know, he might take a few lumps just because of the, you know, the playmaking, you know, his, his kind of playmaking issues might not make him ideal, but, you know, kind of, you know, he might, you know, career path wise might follow something like Brandon Ingram where Brandon Ingram kind of, you know, struggled kind of struggled a little bit like his first couple of years with the Lakers and then sort of as he's kind of grown into his body and sort of you know gotten more familiar with the league you know he's you know you see you know you see the talent start to you know to kind of grow as his skill set and kind of maturity you know has has kind of evolved so he could kind of follow kind of that career path where it might be you know high usage might be a little too much for him at first but you know as he sort of gets accustomed to it and kind of, you know, kind of expands his game, you know, he can, you know, kind of grow into that kind of role role as a pro. That makes sense. Okay. I'm definitely with that. I understand. So going from Jabari more to the next guy who's been talked about as much, if not more leading up to it, um, Paulo Bancaro, um, what do you see from him, his fit? I know he's been uh, one of the guys been talked about from the very beginning, you know, as, as a, as a rising star, potential number one pick, um yeah what are your overall takes on Bancaro? I think offensively I mean he's I mean he's pretty much he's almost there I mean he, you know at the college level just because he's so like physically you know mature you know he's you know 610 or upwards 240 250 you know a good ball handler you know good kind of stationary shooter you know he can get any shot he wants really it's just a matter of you know just sometimes you know he kind of you know it's, you know, he kind of settles for kind of some kind of inefficient kind of, you know, kind of pull-ups, but, you know, he, but, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, he can, you know, he can, you know, it, he shouldn't have too much trouble scoring. And um, one of the things that kind of goes in his favor is that he's, you know, 
he's a pretty solid passer. So if you bring help, he can kind of, he can, you know, kind of hit the open guy and kind of, you know, so, so he could, you know, he could handle, you know, usage. It's just, you know, one of the things that's kind of, you know, he's not really a, he's not really a great def individual defender, but you know, Duke kind of does kind of some things where they can, they hide him a little bit. And so, yeah. so it's like, he is, he is the kind of guy, you know, at least on the defensive end, kind of the, you know, the, the, the comp that comes to mind defensively is someone like Marcus Morris, where Marcus Morris isn't really a great individual defender, but he's individual defender, but he's part of very effective defenses because he has the kind of body type that can be used kind of in switches where he can, you know, he can, you know, he can handle bigger guys, handle smaller guys and wings for, and you know, for, in, you know, for short, short enough stretches where he won't look terrible. Yeah. And so that's so, so defensively, you know, Bencher might not be plus, but he still might be useful. So then it just come, it's just a matter of, coming to offense and so one of the things he has to work on is a little inconsistent shooting off the dribble and shot selection kind of you know being maybe a little more selective and taking but you know shots to kind of boost his efficient boost his efficiency so that's you know kind of where where he's at got you where do you think his best fit um at the pro level is just to start you know um is he someone that you could see Let's say if he's going to Orlando or Oklahoma City, is he someone that you think should take like a backseat to maybe one of their higher usage guards? Like maybe Oklahoma City, you know, playing off of say SGA, Shea Gibbs Alexander. If he's going to Orlando, like they have a lot of guys, Jalen Suggs, and of course, you know, um, Cole Anthony. Is he kind of playing off of them? Is he a guy that can step right in and, and take over on the offensive end there and just kind of adapt on the defensive end and pick up more as he goes along? Kind of where do you see it from from what you see at Duke from ben, from Paula? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it's it would be kind of an adjustment for him to be kind of a secondary guy because he's been kind of the lead guy his whole pretty much his whole life. So mm -hmm. yeah, it'd be, I mean, it would be, I mean, in, you know, depending on, you know, again, if he goes to like an Oklahoma city where he, maybe he could get, you know, playing with someone like shake, you know, SGA, you know, he would get easier shots. Mm. So it might, you know, allow him to kind of grow into a more efficient way, but, you know, if he has to, if he has to take on volume, um, he has the skill set to do it. So it's just a matter, you know, so, I mean, some of this is not really, you know, again, if he lands in maybe, you know, maybe, you know, Houston may be a little bit best of both worlds where, you know, he might be, you know, code, you know, kind of code number one with Jalen green or someone where he could take on volume and, you know, and he doesn't, and he's not by himself. So, it's, so, yeah, because, yeah, so, but, you know, I think, yeah, but for the most part, I, you know, I, I'm pretty solid. He probably could handle, you know, handle some extra, handle kind of the so, workload. I mean, if, 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 you know, and, and eventually get there as long as, you know, a team kind of stays relatively patient with some, maybe some initial growing pains. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I like that. I, I, I think that you're right. It's a fit where, like you mentioned in Houston, we can kind of get the best of both worlds there. But I, I definitely think it's going to be intriguing to see as we get closer um, to, of course, NBA draft season, kind of where he falls and projecting the best fit at the pro level would be great. Um, moving on from him to the other guy in the top three, Chet Holgram. Um, got a lot of stuff on him, heard a lot of things about him, just this seven-foot 
what one like guy who can shoot the three and and block shots. Tell me some more about Chet, please. Yeah, I mean Chet Holmgren is is probably is really uniquely talented guy. I mean it's just yeah he's yeah as you said seven foot good ball hand good ball handler can pass knock down shots. I mean he's real. I mean he's re- insanely effective in transition. I mean his like yeah last I checked on Synergy. I mean his um, effective field goal percentage dropped to ninety five per ninety five percent where it was you know he's. 70, you know, he's 75% in those situations and he's making two thirds of his threes. So just, you know, a guy in the open floor who can handle pass, hit pull up jumpers, you know, so that's, and that's something that's really, you know, intriguing in terms of his skill set. Then in half court, it's kind of been tougher to kind of get a read on him just because, you know, he's kind of in this odd kind of secondary role where he's, he's kind of, where he has to kind of defer to kind of, some of the upperclassmen on the team, but you still see things that are, that still see kind of ways that he's, you know, ways that he can be effective where he's very good rim runner, just with his length and athleticism, just, you know, an ability to catch lobs and kind of catch lobs and finish at the rim. And then he's a very good, um, he's a very good spot up three point shooter. So, you know, he can kind of stretch the floor, but, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, they rarely give him kind of opportunities to really create for himself. And it's, and he's always kind of been sort of a guy, even in high school, because he and Jalen Suggs used to be teammates in high school where he's oh, kind wow. of been always been the guy who has def- been in the position to defer. So there is a little bit of concern that he might not have that sort of alpha sort of mentality to be a leading scorer mm-hmm. but i think all the with if you put everything kind of his skill together he still can be a really kind of dynamic player that could really help a team on offense where you know if it's you know roll to the rim you know maybe use his handle and pass you know short roll playmaker okay stretch big you know he really you know he has a lot of you know stretch big and then his transition skills you know you could get some really interesting value out of that and then defensively even though he's you know he's pretty he's you know, rail thin where he's, you know, he's listed under 200 pounds for a guy seven, seven feet tall, but he kind of, but, you know, he he shows enough physicality where, you know, he kind of tries to stay in there, even though guy, every, every bigger guy that plays against him tries to kind of, tries to kind of bully their way through him. Mm. But, you know, he kind of stands in there, you know, he's good enough to kind of stay in there and he can block, you know, a really good shot blocker, uh, really good shot blocker and he's got solid enough mobility where he can kind of hang you know he can defend on the perimeter and kind of play in kind of some switch more switch heavy kind of schemes that's so cool. i mean that's so it's just going to come down to whoever kind of whichever team gets him has to kind of be creative in kind of his usage or else he just kind of might be sort of pigeonholed into that sort of miles turner sort of yeah that role that, that kind of strain that that stretch kind of rim rim protector role but you know yeah. but if you really want to unlock kind of his skill set you really you know you got to kind of kind of got got to get creative with lineups kind of in the way that you know cleveland's kind of used evan mobley mm-hmm. where in those kind of jump you know kind of kind of utilize kind of take advantage of kind of his kind of unique body type to kind of create different matchups and things like that that is cool. 
That is cool. I appreciate you breaking it down in such a way and showing the versatility that he kind of brings to the table there. And also, I guess, the potential risk of him not being fully utilized at that level, at the next level. So that's something I'm definitely intrigued by. And, and he is one of the more interesting players because it's hard to find, not that I'm really good on comps between college and NBA anyway, but it's hard to find like a, okay, he reminds me of this guy. Like, at, I, I, first thing that came to my mind, not having watched anything, I'm like, oh, Sean Bradley. I don't even know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was just... Yeah. That was just tall, white dude. I was like, okay, it has to be him. Like, no. Like, there's a lot more skill there on both sides of the, of the ball. Um, and it's only a matter of whether we see that at the next level. But I think that's really cool. And you said it. It's already weird that he has, like, a – you're deferring to a more experienced, like, the bigger – not the bigger college player, but the, 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 the alpha college player right now, you know, that he's playing alongside. So that's definitely interesting. But going from him to another guy that I haven't heard a lot about, but I'm definitely intrigued to hear your words on, Jalen Durant. Um, what can you tell about Jalen Duran? And then I guess we can go from him to Jay Nivey if you want to kind of get both of them. Although, yeah, yeah, let's kind of talk about the next two because they're just outside of that or in that like main mix, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, that's a yeah, we're yeah, outside the top three, it's a little bit more fluid because yeah, it's just, it's going to be sort of Aya and Aya the beholder situation. I'm uh, not quite as maybe high on Duran as some others, but I see, I see the up, I see the ability in him. I mean, he's. He's, he's a really athletic kind of rim runner, kind of, but, you know, rim runner, but kind of raw offensively. I mean, he's not really a great shooter or passer. I mean, so, I mean, but, you know, still a guy who could be really effective kind of at the NBA level, just as, you know, again, on offense, just rim runner, you know, guy who can kind of be ver- that vertical kind of lob threat. And then, you know, great, you know, you know, great shot blocker, rebounder. So like the, you know, upside of this is probably somewhere around a DeAndre Jordan, Andre Drummond sort of type. Oh, wow. So it's, you know, it's where it's like, you know, it's someone, you know, who can, you know, again, if you give him kind of the right kind of, you know, playmaking partner, you can really, you can maybe see some of that, you know, some of that in him, but, you know, kind of, he's been kind of lost a little bit kind of at Memphis because they, you know, they're, you know, they're just, they haven't, they haven't kind of reached kind of the expectations that they kind of had coming into the season. So Mm -hmm. some, you know, their offense seems kind of disjointed at times. And so he goes, he goes stretches without touching the ball and then like, and then, you know, but, you know, kind of, but he still kind of is a presence kind of protecting the rim and things like that, but he's a bit, a little bit undisciplined just, you know, in in terms of just with his positioning and committing fouls and that nature. So, there's still there there's still uh, some room to grow and he's and he's got to be coached up a little bit more. Okay. So there's some risk that maybe like you know if something does something you know doesn't quite pan out right that he might just end up being sort of like you know you know some kind of rotational kind of rotational kind of big so Yeah. So it'd be tough, you know, if it was it'd be tough, you know, for me to to pay, you know, kind of that big premium at the top of the draft to, you know, get somebody that you might be able to get similar value later on. But yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you, you know, again, if you have the kind of like, you know, if maybe, you know, if you're like in Oak city where you have a lot of, a lot of talent on the, a lot of young talent on the perimeter, maybe, you know, kind of having that, you know, having that big, having that athletic big to kind of pair with some of these guys might, Mm -hmm. you know, might be, might be worthwhile. Okay. Definitely. So, I mean, it does sound like, that's definitely an interesting fit and that he's going to be very team dependent on where he flourishes because well, it's not exactly true, but he's going to be very team dependent on whether he like stands out because like 
you said in the year 2022, you know, DeAndre Jordan type, those are easily found. You know, as a Laker fan, we have two of those guys, you know, in DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, the rim running, you know, play above the rim. Granted, yeah. are the Lakers version are a little older, but in terms of that archetype. So the fact that he doesn't bring any no jump shooting at all, like he doesn't bring any of that to the table. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's he, he's one. Yeah, he's um, below sixty percent on his free throws. Whoa. So it's kind of yeah, the the shot kind of if it, it if it if it's there, it's a bit incon. You know, it's not totally reliable. He's not really you know much of a passer. So there's not you know kind of so he's really not. He's really limited to kind of you know being kind of that you know kind of dunker spot kind of rim runner type of guy. You know, you know kind of you know kind of you know, you know, kind of roll to the rim sort of. Yeah. That archetype. Okay. Wow. Well, that's definitely a little bit of a downer for me. I was hoping, I mean, again, we don't know as what he can grow into, but as of right now, you know, you're right. I don't need a lot of hype. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of room to grow. So it's like, again, you know, some of the, you know, he could, you know, he could zoom way past that projection, you know, Mm -hmm. with, you know, but right now it's tough. It's tough to kind of see where the, you know, yeah, the skill level is not quite, you know, he's, it's still raw at this stage. That makes sense. I get you. And then going from him to uh, Jaden Ivey, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, he's made a big improvement from his freshman, from, yeah, his, yeah, from his freshman year, kind of not, you know, kind of struggled a bit last year, but, you know, this year he's really kind of leveled up and become, you know, a really, really good player for Purdue. I mean, one of the things that works in his favor, he's a really good shooter off the catch, so he can run off screens, good spot-up shooter. Off the dribble, he's a little bit inconsistent, especially from deep, like his percentages on kind of pull-up threes isn't, isn't, isn't really that great. But, you know, but he is a little bit better kind of pulling up from mid-range, so he does have the ability to grow into that sort of lead kind of shot-creating kind of scoring guard um he's improved you know he's 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 gotten better as a passer but it's still not he doesn't quite have that kind of natural feel for it right now so it's a you know he's he can be a little kind of you know almost mechanical or kind of he might think kind of sequentially at times so if you kind of so if he so if there's something kind of unexpected he does it doesn't quite kind of see the doesn't quite see the opening as kind of quickly as he should, but, you know, if he works on, you know, his, if he, again, if he works on his, you know, playmaking and his ability to score off the dribble, you know, there might be, you know, the upside might be something, you know, if he, if everything breaks absolutely perfectly, maybe he's in that sort of, you know, kind of maybe in that like Brad Beal, like maybe some, you know, whatever the neck, the low, the level down from Bradley Beal is that kind of guy, but you okay. know, <laughs> yeah, but kind of on average, a guy, you know, I was looking kind of just through like my just running kind of preliminary thoughts, kind of on average guys like this tend to be more like, you know, kind of like an, like sixth man types like mm-hmm. OJ Mayo or like Ben, you know, you might be a, or like a bigger version of Ben Gordon because defensively he's not, defensively is kind of you know maybe average kind of at best there's not a lot of land you know he's just not you know yeah they kind of hide him a little bit so Mm -hmm. so he's not so he's really going to be kind of you know everything's going to depend on his offense more so than you know kind of any kind of two-way ability so you know if he kind of improves more if he improves his ability with the ball then you could probably see him 
hit the upper end of his projection, but, you know, kind of if, but, you know, kind of in kind of a floor kind of at worst situation, it's a, it's a good kind of kind of scoring guard off the bench kind of role kind of situation. That makes sense. That makes sense. So basically like, if you're saying I, I instantly came when you said a little bit like a less version Bradley, Beal. I think Bradley Beal's an above average shooting guard. So now we're looking at an average guard, right? Probably the best yeah, way of thinking about that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely get that. Okay. So with that being said, um, I kind of move to the next kind of transition here and, and that's really not on, any, I guess, specific player, but just a unit as a whole, you can kind of pick any standouts. But what are your thoughts on the G League Ignite team and their prospects that are looking to enter the NBA draft this year? And, you know, as Jaden Hardy, that's a Michael Foster, a Dyson Daniels, and a, a Marjan Bochamp. Like, um, kind of what are your thoughts on, you know, the G League Ignite team in general? I know there's a great article I read just recently from NBA um, NBA Live Scout, NBAScoutingLive.com that kind of went into, I think it was a contest or two that had some observations on that. Yeah, I think um, this year's G League team, G League Ignite team, isn't as um, strong as last year's. Because last year you had um, Jalen Green and Kuminga, and so like those guys, yeah, you, know, you had high, really you know, kind of definite sort of high end kind of lottery type talents. But this year's team kind of isn't quite, you know, we're kind of looking more like kind of mid for, mid to late kind of first mid to late first or even second round type guys. Um, okay. Actually wow. the best prospect on their team is um, Scoot Henderson, who is not available for this draft, but he's, he'll be, he'll, he'll he's eligible for next year's draft and he's going to be in the um, rising stars challenge at all-star weekend. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, but yeah, with this draft, I mean, you, you, they, yeah, they haven't, yeah, the, this year's G League Ignite team really hasn't kind of, they've kind of shown the flaws kind of, they've, they've had bright spots, they've had flaws and, you know, so it's kind of, it's going to be kind of a situation where if they land in a spot where they can kind of bring the best out of them, you might get something, get, you know, you might, you know, kind of get some value out of that. Um, of them, I think Dyson Daniels might be the best, best prospect of out of them where, you know, he's a good, you know, kind of a, He's you know, Australian, big, you know, big kind of ball handling guard. So it kind of has kind of, kind of, you know, from a playmaking ball handling standpoint, kind of sim- has some similarities to Josh Giddy, but the, but his shot has kind of been kind of, his shot has kind of been inconsistent and, but, you know, he's been solid. He's been kind of solid kind of as a defensive player. So, you know, so yeah. So if, so if a shot kind of comes around, you might be able to get, you know, a pretty good, good player out of there. And then, you know, Jaden Hardy is kind of a scoring guard, but his shot selection can be kind of pretty questionable at times. So he has some, he, he's had a lot of nights where he's like, you know, like two for 14 or, you know, those, you know, kind of tough shooting nights. So yeah, if he kind of improves his shot, shot selection, you know, he might, you know, he might come around. Um, Bochamp kind of, fits kind of that three and D profile, but the shot isn't the shot isn't kind of where it is. And defensively is a little bit, you know, kind of unpolished where he's not always, you know, kind of clean in his rotations and things like that. And then Michael Foster is kind of is Michael Foster's fit is kind of a, a little bit, a little bit questionable just because he kind of fits that old kind of power, you know, old kind of power forward mold, but you know, he's not really a rim protector you know, kind of undersized to be a center, doesn't have, you know, any, you know, real 
you know, doesn't have polished perimeter skills, but, you know, kind of, you know, but, you know, in terms of like rebounding and things like that, he does provide rebounding and some inside scoring. He can provide that. So that's but more or less kind of where we stand kind of with those G League Ignite prospects. Okay. So it's weird. I mean, you brought up um, the, the like Michael Foster kind of being a throwback, you know, to the old style, like big man power forward type. And then Jalen Duran also being an old school type. I mean, maybe Foster going back a little further than Duran, but it seems like you have a lot of guys in this draft who are trying to bring, you know, the late 90s, mid 2000s, early 2010s back. Yeah, that is kind of, yeah, like a little bit where, you know, you do have some types where you're, you know, again, had it been like, you know, even had it been, you know, a few years earlier, they might be valued a little more. I mean, you kind of see that sometimes with guys who are, you know, like point guards that have that sort of, you know, that classic sort of pass first profile that, you know, where, you know, back in, you know, back 10, 15 years ago, they probably would have been, you know, lottery to, you know, lottery picks but then they you know kind of move lower just because you know because shooting is at such a premium nowadays and you know kind of switching and things of that nature switching on defense so some of the players that kind of fit older roles even though you know you see talent and you see production you kind of have to sort of figure out where they fit nowadays that makes sense and i guess that's a lot of a large part of evaluating because i'm only seeing like who they are and how they are as players now, what they project to be and where they go, where they fit on team. So definitely with you there. Uh, Speaking of evaluating, are there any players right now that you look at in this draft that might seem to not be overrated, but like valued higher than you might have them, you know, compared to the consensus, maybe, you know, guys are really high on um, Jabari Smith and you're like, Hey, I I don't really see that. Like who are those players for you? Just a couple that, you know, you not that you're down on them, just that you're not like selling the farm on them. Yeah. I think like, I think there's probably the most kind of disagreement just in terms of just in terms of, you know, what I've seen from just about the kind of the crop of wing guys where, you know, some guys are, some guys value certain guys high, you know, that maybe, you know, a little more polished or maybe, or for whatever reason, you know, some guys fall, some guys rise. And so you get like a little bit, you know, maybe people's value systems are a little different where they might put a more of an emphasis on, you know, kind of, polish and production and some people might have more of a emphasis on you know tools so you get certain guys like you know maybe you know benedict mathurin is a guy that has sort of seen his stock rise to the lottery but i you know depending on you know again what list i see i might have somebody rated higher i think um aj griffin's stock is sort of has started to rise to the point where it kind of matches sort of where I have him because I have him because, you know, at the beginning of the season, he kind of wasn't for some strange, for whatever reason, he wasn't playing very much at Duke. And then mm. he started to get regular minutes. And so he start in and his play is his efficiency is held up with more playing time. So he's really, you know, he's started to kind of seen him himself kind of rise to kind of that, you know, kind of top 10 as well. So, this is going to be kind of one of those situations where, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of like the middle, the middle to like the late lottery part of the draft is going to be a little more fluid where maybe somebody might have somebody as a lottery pick that, and somebody else has them as like a, you know, late or a second rounder. And so it's kind of like that last year, um, last year with Josh Primo, where there was just no consensus across the board on him. So to, 
where to the point where, you know, the Spurs had him and they picked him 11th and, <laughs> and some people, yeah, some people had him as a first round pick. Some people had him as a second round pick. And, and so, yeah, it comes back, it comes back to, you know, teams and whoever's evaluating, you know, you know, you're going to, they're going to be different boards. So this draft in particular is a little bit of kind of, it's a little more fluid sort of after you get past about four or five where people are going to start to have some disagreements. And so you might see people rated higher or lower than expected. Okay. I like that. I think it's definitely a nuanced answer in, in terms, in regards to how you look at it and where they rise or fall for sure. Um, in your own personal take. So I appreciate that. Are there any gems outside the lottery that you have your eyes set on guys that, you know, we do look back on that are, you know, next year's steal, you know, at their draft position. Yeah, that's a, that's, it's, that's a tough question to answer just literally. Cause yeah. Cause one of the things, yeah. Cause the boards are so fluid. So in terms yeah. of finding guys that are definitively outside of the lottery. So I think I was looking at this, like looking at this and um, the, the one name that comes to mind, maybe um, Caleb Houston from Michigan. I mean, er, Caleb Houston from Michigan early in the season, he was tabbed as a lottery pick. He kind of had some struggles with his shot just cause yeah. So he had some struggles with his shot and that was, you know, kind of what he was kind of advertised as, but mm-hmm. as, but sort of as he's gotten through um, play in the big 10, he's, his, sh- his shot has been falling. And so in, he's sort of grown a little more comfortable in his role where, you know, he's playing kind of off of some, you know, kind of other kind of experienced players. So he's kind of settled down and he's been able to, you know, establish himself as a really good kind of shooter kind of, you know, kind of off the catch, especially in real stationary situations like spot ups or kind of some, you know, open threes in transition. Okay. You know, when he's kind of, when he has his focus, he kind of, he can, he can be a really solid defender, but he kind of just gets kind of sloppy. So he could kind of project into the future in kind of a three and D kind of role if he lands kind of in the right situation. So okay. And, okay. and slipping in to some extent actually might end up working out for him because he might end up in kind of a with a better team that has kind of a more sound kind of structure. So they are able so he'll he'll kind of better kind of understand his role and who to kind of play off of him. There won't be kind of the same kind of expectations that, you know, that he might've like entered college with where, you know, not having that, you know, kind of not having that kind of pressure on him might allow him to kind of easily kind of grow into what he's supposed to be at the NBA level. Okay. Yeah. Not having that pressure, that ceiling on him. I get that for sure. Okay. All right. So I guess um, with that, I'm just going to kind of throw these out at you kind of fun, just kind of rapid fire uh, and just get your initial kind of takes on these. Uh, like my NBA superlatives I used to do, just get the, the, the first thing that comes to mind, whoever you nominate as the best, uh, as of what you know right now, I do understand this is still February, but um, as of right now, who is the best shooter in the draft, Richard? Uh, yeah, as of, yeah, just based on kind of what I have, um, Max Abmus from Oral Roberts. Oh. Um, yeah, probably, yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, kind of a, high volume score at a small school. He can shoot. Yeah. You can shoot it kind of in all ways. I mean, he's a good, good spot, good kind of stationary kind of spot up shooter can run off screens. Good kind of good kind of good kind of pull up shooter from off the dribble has really deep range. 
Um, he's probably not going to be kind of in that primary creator role that he is kind of at Oral Roberts, just because he's not like he's kind of under he's kind of small. He's kind of small. He doesn't quite have kind of the elite athleticism, but, you know, the shot is there. You know, he has good kind of court sense on the offensive end. So he could kind of be the kind of guy who grows into like a, a kind of a variation of somebody like Seth Curry. OK, OK. Yeah, I like kind of that. Like, yeah, a shooting specialist. So that's kind of you're looking for a shooting specialist. That's kind of the guy. Another guy I considered, um, Johnny Juzang from UCLA. Okay. Um, really good off the catch. I mean, he's yeah, good, good spot up, runs off screens. Little overextended because he's the um, in kind of a main role because he isn't really as um, consistent creating off creating his own shot off the dribble. But mm-hmm. kind of if he goes, yeah, kind of goes to the pros and kind of gets put in kind of a complimentary kind of role. You could see kind of his kind of shooting efficiency kind of crank up. Cause he's got a good, you know, good kind of good mechanics, good clean stroke. Okay. That is cool. Cool. All right. So I guess from there, Richard, the next, um, the best passer slash ball handler, right? I wanted to say floor general, but that's the best way I get to chat to myself. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, there isn't like in this draft, like that traditional kind of like playmaking kind of playmaking point guard. Cause most of the point guard prospects really uh-huh. kind of are more scoring minded. Okay. But kind of in terms of that kind of like really good playmaker, like playmaker ball handler kind of thing. Um, Dyson Daniels is okay. Di- Dyson Daniels is a real, you know, really, you know, really good ball handler. Mm-hmm. And could probably, you know, be kind of, you know, could maybe probably legitimately play point guard. And oh, wow. he has great, yeah, he's averaging somewhere. I, I like to say last time I checked, we're somewhere around six assists in the G League. So, so he does have good court vision, you know, good court vision, you know, in the half court transition kind of, you know, on a, on good days, he kind of, I, I do kind of see some like flashes of kind of like the young version of Sean Livingston okay. when he plays. So yeah, just. Yeah, good ball handler. And then you had the ability, you know, the tall point guard that can kind of see over kind of the smaller defenders and kind of find open players. So that's, yeah. yeah. Using his size to his advantage in terms of playmaking purposes. Yeah. Definitely get that. All right. So the best rebounder. Yeah. The best rebounder. Um, yeah. I got to just go with numbers on this one. Um, Oscar Shibway from Kentucky leads the NCAA in every rebounding category. Wow. Just, yeah. Off it. Yeah. So, he was already a good rebounder at West Virginia. And then just, yeah, this season at Kentucky, he's been, you know, he's been just absolutely just killing it on the boards. I think I last saw like per game, it's just, you know, he's at 15 and then you just break it down offense, defense per minute possession. He just, he is the leader in every single category. Wow. So it's hard to argue against that. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, if he, if he grabs everything in rebounding, you can't have your answer yeah. there. <laughs> um, <laughs> the best defender. I know there's a few kind of intriguing guys here, but who is your just straight up best defender that you see so far in this draft? Yeah, um, it was hard for me to argue against Jabari Smith as the best defender where, you know, again, he has that he has just a lot of versatility on that end where, you know, he can defend on the ball. He can roam. He defends at the, you know, he's good defender around the rim. So it's kind of, you know, and then, you know, just in terms of just looking at kind of situational metrics, you know, he rates is very good or better in just any kind of situation. So there was kind of not much, yeah, there not much that kind of, n- nobody really that kind of came close to came, that. Came close other than, other than Holmgren. And I guess, you know, in terms of just 
kind of breaking the tie. It was just, you know, Jabari Smith's mobility, just, you know, kind of put him over the top, you know, so that's what I would probably, yeah, I'd probably go with Jabari Smith in terms of that. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, and then lastly, Richard, your best on ball shot creator from scratch, give him the ball. He's going to make a shot happen, you know, last second of shot clock, last possession, or just a bucket in a hurry. Yeah. I'd probably go Paolo Benchero is that is probably the best on ball shot career where, you know, he can get it. You know, he's, you know, got, you know, he, he has, he can get anywhere he wants, you know, anywhere he wants, you know, with the ball where, you know, he can put, you know, he can post smaller defenders, you know, you know, he's open kind of in spot up situations. He can knock down outside shots. You know, he can, you know, he's good, you know, good at driving to the rim. And then, you know, if you bring help, he does have the ability to find the right, you know, find the right pass to kind of set up others. So, so when, you know, when it's there, but, you know, if, you know, you need, if you need, if you need a bucket, that probably is the you guy to man. go to. Okay. Well, Richard, I appreciate this, man. Thank you for coming on and giving me the time. Um, definitely want to have you on again, of course, close to the draft season, maybe do some big boards, maybe something there. But I just want to thank you from the top. And, and please, before I let you go, sir, um, where can you let list, like tell listeners to kind of find your work? Obviously, NBA Scouting Live, but I know you also have your almanacs. Definitely take the time here. Let the listeners know where they can find more of more of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter as at rvl hoops and so yeah i also write two almanacs a year you can find them um, www.amazon.com slash author slash rvl hoops that that basically is my my author page and it has um it'll take you to all the books that have come out so far and then yeah i kind of yeah i run yeah i edit um nba scouting live most of the writing on that is done by my brother alan so yeah, NBA scouting live.com. And then, um, yeah. And if anyone's ever in the, if any of your listeners are in the Seattle area, I also organize a meetup group, NBA Seattle on the meetup app. Oh, that is and cool. you can, yeah. Hang out and watch basketball and talk about all this stuff in person. If you're vaccinated, <laughs> that is cool. Hey, I might be down there next month. So I might take you up on that one, sir. <laughs> well, listen, man, I appreciate you, Richard. Thank you again for your time. No problem. Yeah, thank. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, it was great, yeah. Always, always. And listen, y'all, y'all know where to find Richard. You know where to find me. If not, it's fine on Twitter at CorbinNBA. I'm not mad about it. No problem at all. Make sure to check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. Uh, one last thing, y'all, quickly before we sign off. I want to remind y'all to use the coupon code HOOPBALL20, that's H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0 at manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also check out our pals at mybookie.ag. Use the code HOOPBALL on the third page to sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. Uh, that's going to do it here for us Round Ball Ramble. Thank y'all again for your time. For Richard, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I'll talk to y'all tomorrow. All right, y'all.